Wow, well, it's, it's a magnificent stone. They put it up this morning. Well, it's just a magnificent stone. <laughs> Jerry? George, we'll leave you alone with her. What? I'm sure there are things you'd like to say. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> really? Jerry. Well, I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello, Ivan. Hello, Stephen. And hello to you, our listeners. Welcome to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. We are a Seinfeld podcast out of Melbourne, Australia. And every week we take a random episode of Seinfeld and examine the secondary characters from it. And this week we are doing the premiere episode of Season 8, The Foundation. That's right. And uh, I've been waiting 182 episodes to say this. This is our Blink-182 episode. (laughs) It's Blink-182. 182, 182, shit. (laughs) Four years and you fucked it up. I know. I've been waiting so long. I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah, just got you. Yeah, it did. Yep. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, it's off to Myanmar for me. <laughs> I'm burned Off out. to Burma. <laughs> it's always be Burma to me. <laughs> yeah, so we are doing the foundation, the season eight premiere, and Stephen, because we only have about half a dozen episodes remaining of the entire podcast series, this is our very last season eight episode. Yeah, we uh, have recently been ticking off whole seasons lately, and uh, this is season eight. I think we've ticked off season one, two, and three, maybe five. Yeah, I think maybe. Well, next week is uh, season four episode episode our yep. last one and i think we got a season seven one coming up yeah in a few weeks yeah it's just like over the next few weeks you'll find it's going to be like our final season episodes of stuff it's obviously. bittersweet because it feels satisfying that we're ticking off whole seasons yeah and uh we've been doing this for nearly four years but it's also uh you know it's a bit rough for us so it's coming to an end and, yeah you know i'm assuming for a few of you as well it might be a bit disappointing <laughs> but uh if you want to express that sadness you can you can email us bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com you can say hello on uh, all forms of social media all those details are in the show notes uh you can help us out by reviewing us or rating us on your podcast app of choice it really helps out with visibility and uh, spreading the word uh, about the podcast and if you want to support us financially you can do that as well that's right we're on patreon for a couple of bucks a month and uh, you get bonus episodes or bonus podcasts i should say and early access to this episode just go to the show notes and you'll find out what you get and uh, currently we have four patrons on our profile or thing whatever you want to call it patreon <laughs> patreon yeah that'll do yeah holly nikia jeff and neil so they're paying uh, at least two bucks a month and they're getting all those goodies yeah so thanks guys we really appreciate it and they've been uh, long-time patrons so appreciate the long-term support and you can do one-off paypal donations too so if you're not don't really like commitment you can uh, just give us you know one-off payment yeah just like two or three grand you know that's fine (laughs) five grand yeah that's fine ten grand whatever yeah whatever whatever you know no pressure 20 grand 30 grand all good (laughs) 2.6 million you know trade your dolls in get 2.6 million just just do like gamestop you know like the yeah uh, yeah, you know like the stocks how it went up to like a thousand dollars yeah yeah just pump up our stock yeah 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 and just you know, dump us. If, yeah, if Wall Street bets want to, you know, get behind us, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. No Please. commitment. Just 20, 30 grand. All yeah. Good. Just do a billboard and just says bid will bass to the moon. Yep. Perfect. Yep. And the 20 grand. The billboard and the 20 yeah, grand. That's yeah, right, yeah, that's but right. But no pressure. Perfect. It's all good. Finally, we have... Uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for the flood of money once our, once we finish this series. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, of course. Yeah, like people, a million... <laughs> people are just waiting in the wings. Yeah. yeah. It'd be like a million dollars in our bank account. We're like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. As a thank you. Yeah, two million. Thank you for four years. Here's a million dollars. Great. Have fun. Great. Cool. Thanks, Jerry. Awesome. Yeah. Cheers. Appreciate it. Cheers. He's Thanks, been one Jerry. of our secret listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, you can uh, check out our uh, Facebook group. It's called Seinfeldisms. Uh, we're the biggest Seinfeld community on the internet. Uh, we're at about 134, 135,000 members now, which is just still, Mind blo- boggling. still blows my mind. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, check that out and join the fun. Very good. Seinfeldisms, man. So what's happened to you? Yeah. So uh, every week we uh, talk about any, I guess, interaction or experience that we've had that involves Seinfeld in our real life. Uh, I've had two this week, so I had zero last week and I think one maybe the week before. So it's nice to uh, be back with a couple. Uh, one is your pretty standard uh, Seinfeldism at this point, which was a mention uh, in a podcast. Of, of Seinfeld in a podcast. Yep. I never usually make a note. I just make a note that it happened, but I never actually talk about the specific podcast, but this week I decided to do that. There's a really awesome uh, Simpsons podcast called Talking Simpsons. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, they mentioned Seinfeld, I think, because the episode might have mentioned Seinfeld. Yeah, anyway. Is that the one with Selma and Patty where they're... um? It's the one where they're trying to get the uh, They're film. trying to rename Springfield. Yeah, they're trying Seinfeld. To get the Olympics. And, and it's like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah. I love about that scene should is... should call they, it Seinfeld. Yeah, they just openly admit. They're like, we should just take advantage of another popular show. Yeah. We, just, we should just piggyback off that. <laughs> and then like a parody baseline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's slightly... It's like 80% similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like slightly off. Yeah. 
That's good. The second one was unexpected, actually. So I went to a friend's engagement party on the weekend, and they had their party at a venue called the George. <laughs> the George. The George. So you got George's bar, and then you, uh, in Fitzroy in Melbourne, and then you got the George. Actually, I forgot all about it. Uh, last Wednesday, which was about five days ago, I actually went to George's bar. Fantastic. Yeah, which is just down the road from where I live here in Melbourne. Uh, <laughs> did they remember us from when we did our live no, show? No, 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 no. <laughs> Probably no. not. No. <laughs> they don't want to know us. No, they've blacked us out. They have. <laughs> in case you're wondering, we had our 50th episode. If, you, if you're a newer listener to the podcast i think in 2017 we had our live uh, episode our 50th episode we did yeah. the contest and it was 2018 because uh, yeah, it was about oh, a year after we started oh that's right yeah, yeah sorry 2018 yeah yeah and um we told george's bar there'd be like lots of people yeah and then we were able to book out the whole venue for like our yeah. podcast and we only had like 10 people rock yeah up. and they were just friends and stuff <laughs> yeah it was still really good we had a lot yeah, of fun and everyone was. everyone seemed to enjoy it like yeah, it was a nice yeah. little vibe so go back and listen to it if you haven't man. it was fun but yeah george's bar were like they weren't happy no nah, it was like you should have brought more people yeah, you told us sent, you'd have more <laughs> they sent us a, a pretty dirty email on the Monday morning. That's right. To sort of, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, just express how unhappy they were. Oh, well. But, oh, well, who cares? Who cares? Uh, yeah, but I went there last Wednesday to oh. uh, watch some stand-up comedy. Wicked. And, yeah, and it was absolutely fantastic actually i've been to a few open mic nights before and it's usually a bit hit or miss uh but this was as good as any comedy i've ever paid for it was, oh, fantastic. It was, it was amazing so really good very good up and coming talent yeah yeah, yeah, yeah really yeah. really cool so sweet yeah so three seinfeldisms thank you for coincidentally reminding me <laughs> of my third one very good well i have one seinfeldism this week uh my fiance she likes watching the show uh top chef it's like a reality like a cooking reality tv show that came out like 15 years ago or something and they I think Netflix have like the first four or five seasons on the thing I think she's up to season three or four and we, I watched I was just like sitting next to her and there was this contestant who was having I don't know he was having an issue with like tofu in his meal or he was worried the tofu would taste like meat or I don't know it was like something really weird like that and it, you know like in reality shows how it cuts to like the persons that talking about the events or what they're yeah, thinking they and stuff the, the, yeah, yeah. The contestants it's like say like a 10 second cut before yeah. it goes back to the main action yeah it's like one of them's like I'm really it was something along the lines of I'm really scared like I might have a Seinfeld moment because someone might say why does the tofu taste like beef and they put on like the Jerry uh, voice when he said it and I was like oh perfect nice yeah yeah unexpected yeah yeah it's like why does tofu taste like beef What's the deal with beef flavored tofu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something really random, but but he put on Jerry's voice. Oh, okay, like he's very <laughs> yeah, exacerbated. The, yeah, voice. The, all you have to say is a Jerry Seinfeld voice. Yeah, Everyone knows it. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was fun. I was it's just I looked up and he said it. And I was like, oh, perfect. Nice. Yeah. Happens all the time. It does. Nice. Okay, Seinfeld news. So a couple of things to talk about this week. The first one is not specifically Seinfeld related, but it was pretty major news for Curb Your Enthusiasm. So I, so I thought I'd throw it in. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, so Richard Lewis, who plays one of the main secondary characters in Curb Your Enthusiasm. And if you do like Curb Your Enthusiasm, we actually have a B podcast called Curbcast. When this podcast ends, we'll actually be releasing it as its own podcast. That's it's right. basically our next project. Yeah, we'll be releasing episode one of season one probably like three, four weeks before we finish this one. Yeah, so I think early it's March. March 15th, like mid-March. Early to mid-March. Something, something like that. Yeah, but we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll, announce, we'll confirm a date soon and we'll announce that uh, in case you want to listen to that. Yep. But we've recorded the first three seasons already uh, and a couple of those, well, all of those have been released on our Patreon. So if you want to check them out early, yep. uh, just sign up. And yeah, keep an eye out for that around mid-March we'll uh, be doing that very good uh, yeah so with um, Curb Your Enthusiasm Richard Lewis who plays one of the main secondary characters he tweeted out like, through the week that he won't actually be appearing on uh, season 11 of Curb Your Enthusiasm which uh, I believe is sort of in the writing stages maybe the early production stages yeah he over the last sort of 18 months he said uh, in this tweet that he's endured a pretty serious back injury and a couple of shoulder surgeries yeah yeah uh, yep. yeah and basically it's sort of put him out of action for a while I'm guessing he's probably got to go through physical therapy you know and acting is a lot of standing and a lot of moving and stuff. Plus, he's getting older too. Yeah, he's getting know? a bit older. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so he's sadly bowed out of season 11. Ah, oh, sad. Richard Lewis is one of my favourite secondaries on the Oh, show. he's fantastic. He's great. So yeah, good. we actually talk a lot about um, his evolution as a character between season two and three. In yeah, Kirkcast, where, he changes. Yeah, sort yeah. of he's, he's quite a, uh, a grumpy, angry kind of, you know, just not a very nice person, I guess. He's and, a bit obnoxious. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, we theorise that he's got a lot of demons. He's probably like alcoholic and just he's struggled a lot. And then, you know, he sort of transforms a bit into season three and he becomes a lot more reflective and mm. humble and yeah it's a nice nice evolution so yeah. uh yeah wonder what he's like in season 10 he's probably like a full buddhist monk <laughs> we'll see or maybe <laughs> or in he's season... gone the other way and yeah. he's like he's just the most rotten human ever i was gonna say because steve and i we haven't seen 
seen from season four onwards, so we have no idea. So when yeah. we do Curbcast season four, we're going to find out yeah. what Richard does. Yeah, so I uh, hope you get better, Richard, and uh, maybe you're back for season 12. Who knows? We'll see. So the second bit of Seinfeld news, about a week or two ago, uh, like previews for this commercial actually started appearing online, but the full commercial was aired during Super Bowl. Uh, and it's actually uh, Jason Alexander, who we all know plays uh, George in the show. He is doing a commercial for Tide, which is like an American, uh, like a washing brand. Yeah, lots of kids ate those pods a yeah, couple of years Yeah, the Tide ago. Pod Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it caused a bit of grief for a few uh-huh, people. Yeah. yeah, and it's just him sitting on a couch basically talking about uh, Tide and, you know, the benefits and blah, blah, blah. He wears a bunch of various costumes and makes a bunch of funny sort of weird lines. And there is actually one subtle Seinfeld reference in the ad. So I won't reveal what it is. But uh, yeah, if you're a Seinfeld fan, you'll you'll pick it up. He should have eaten a Tide pod the size of a car battery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and equated it to some sort of Bachelor Paradise. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's a pretty cool little commercial. Um, you know, always love when Jason Alexander or anyone appears in sort of just everyday things. Jerry actually did that quite a lot after uh, Seinfeld ended. He was in like an Australian. Do you remember in like the mid 2000s? He was in like an Australian like insurance commercial or like. Oh, a... and it was a banking commercial. That's right. And then Michael Richards was in an Australian Vodafone commercial that's too. That's right. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I think that. Um... He plays himself and he's on like Kalgoorlie and he's yeah. trying to pronounce like the name Kalgoorlie. Yeah. And Aaron's like. Yeah, it's in Outback WA. He's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I can't say that. Yeah. 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 But yes. yeah, Jerry, I think he was the spokesperson for some bank. But it was like a small regional bank in yeah, Newcastle in or like, something. Yeah, in somewhere in New South. Yeah. Which was actually quite, I mean, you know, Jerry Seinfeld promoting anything is great. But for a bank like that, you know, getting Jerry Seinfeld to promote. And the hype of the commercial actually generates more interest than the commercial itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they got more customers. Maybe someone knew someone who knew the manager of Jerry. I don't oh. know. Could have been a contact. The price is right. Yeah, you know? exactly. You know, or the project is just fun enough like oh yeah i'll do like a weird australian bank commercial cool yeah whatever exactly that's like with alec baldwin he did an ad for um latitude oh yeah yeah like a few years ago and he was like the spokesperson they probably paid him yeah and that's an australian company i think yeah yeah paid him good money too price is right you know might be a bit of fun it's a bit of a different job yeah yeah, like a weird australian company Mm -hmm. so who knows yeah but i'm just guessing it's all about the money yeah it is uh yeah so check out that super bowl commercial with uh jason it's it's pretty hilarious we'll put a link to that and uh the tweet uh, that Larry, uh, sorry, that Richard Lewis put out, not Larry David, <laughs> not about his uh, not returning for season 11. Larry David not returning to Curb. They'd, <laughs> they'd have to cancel the show. Oh, the whole no show curb. revolves around him. He can exit Seinfeld and it yeah. can still go on, but Larry David, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, no. Nah, it's his show. And uh, that's all the Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, buddy. Let's have a really quick break. And when we come back, we're talking about some secondary characters from season eight, episode one, The Foundation. Hi, this is Zach. And Aaron from Seinfeld Law. And uh, you are listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. The Foundation first aired in the US on September 19, 1996, directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Alec Berg and Jeff Schaefer. In this episode, after Susan dies, George decides to live the high life by going the bachelor pad route. But his fun quickly ends when Jerry quotes Star Trek II and the Rosses decide to create a foundation in Susan's memory. Jerry gets reacquainted with Mulva from the Junior Mint, she's played by Susan Walters, and decides to do some research into which recent breakup story was more believable, his or George's. Elaine gets in trouble when Jay Peterman flees to Burma and puts her in charge of the catalogue. She doesn't think she's up to the task of running a large business until Kramer motivates her with some life lessons he learned in martial arts training. The stories do the trick until Elaine discovers who Kramer has been really fighting. Karate. Karate. Other secondary characters, Bruce Davison, he plays Wick Thayer, the Ross's lawyer. He, he'll make at least three or four appearances in season eight. He's the head of the, or he he's uh, organising the foundation. Todd Bosley plays Joey. This is his second appearance on the show. Stuart Kwan plays the sensei at the dojo. Janine Garofalo makes an appearance as Jeannie uh, from season 7 in a flashback sequence, a non-speaking role. And uh, Diane Castle plays Mrs. Zanfino, also another appearance on the show. A bit of trivia about the episode, my friend. This episode is dedicated to Marjorie Gross. Uh, she was actually one of the writers on Seinfeld. She died, unfortunately, of ovarian cancer during the um, during the period of season 7 and 8. Yeah, during uh, that break. During the break, yeah, unfortunately. She wrote episodes, four episodes rather, of Seinfeld, including The Secretary and The Showerhead. Oh, nice. Among others yeah, yeah banger episodes yeah a couple of good ones yeah yeah and i believe she was the only writing staff to have passed away i think maybe one or two production staff passed away during the filming like during the run i think she was the only creative staff member uh, that yeah. passed away i think there was a camera operator last week or the week before yeah. we mentioned it was dedicated to yeah the episode but yeah. yeah yeah there were a few but yeah she was the only writer yeah or creative person yeah so she had uh, she had good episodes yeah definitely yeah so uh, uh you know a nice legacy yeah definitely yeah so as most people know it's not really trivia it's kind of just known uh, but this is the first episode that Jerry Seinfeld took over entirely um, and became the showrunner. He sort of contributed to the script, obviously the star of the show. He sort of did everything. Mm. And 
there is an interview uh, on YouTube from, I think it's from maybe a DVD extra because it looks like a sit-down interview. Yeah. And he actually admitted quite openly that for maybe the first half of season eight, he was actually quite nervous. You know, he was worried that he wasn't going to do a good job because yep. he understood that by season seven, you know, even though Seinfeld hadn't finished, but it already had a legacy behind it. He knew, he kind of instinctively knew that it was going to be a show that you know, would be remembered for its cultural impact. Yeah. And he didn't want to sort of screw up that legacy, you know, and also the fact that he was doing stuff, you know, he felt comfortable behind the screen and as a comedian, but the sort of the running of the show was kind of new to him and he felt a bit nervous. But by about halfway through season eight, got the hang of it. You know, the the review ratings were good. The reviews were good. The feedback was good. And he, you know, built his confidence. But uh, it was just nice to see him be a bit honest and, mm. and you know, you know, uh, what's the word? I guess a bit vulnerable, yeah. you know, that <laughs> talking about how nerve, nerve wracking it would be, especially because Larry was the brains. Yeah. Of Jerry could but everything kind of centered around Larry and his humor. Because Jerry had to act as well, so it's exactly. a lot of work. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it was originally, I mean, they were both the co-creators of the show. They're both equally responsible for it being what it is. But I think Larry was more important, especially at the start, yeah. for the style of humor and just the the radical ideas that the show you know, encapsulated. So, yeah, I can understand why he'd be pretty bloody nervous. Yeah, and um, Jerry was so busy, he didn't have time to do his opening and closing mm. uh, comedy skits. And uh, we don't see those again until the finale in season yeah. nine. Yeah, it's funny. Do you like the little, they're like little, almost like non sequiturs? Yeah, they're like okay. The little, the little opening scenes, they rarely have anything to do with the actual oh, plot. No, sometimes they, sometimes they, they, sometimes do, they reference like things in the episode. Yeah, but sometimes yeah. it's almost like the stand up comedy where, you know, sometimes the stand up comedy would be related to the show. Sometimes it would be completely unrelated. Yeah. The little non sequitur opening scenes were kind of the same. I think because it's probably such a huge part of the show. And I mm. think a lot of people remember Seinfeld, especially people who don't watch Seinfeld often. Yeah. They probably remember the opening skits and the closing skits, like the style. And the styles have been parried in so many comedies and, you know, TV shows and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of like if people don't watch Seinfeld, they'll know of Jerry in front of a curtain with a microphone in front of him, like on the stage. A lot of people will remember him for that, mm. for those who don't really watch Seinfeld. Because yeah. it's been parried so many times too. That, that's true. So, yeah. No, I think it's – look, I think sometimes it can be hit and miss, some of the jokes. Uh, but, yeah, I think because it was such an important part of the first at least season – the first seven seasons of Seinfeld, mm. you know, like even though they weren't there for season eight and nine, like I think that was still kind of important so yeah. it was just a bit weird that they weren't there yeah. yeah I imagine you know when you first saw them because you know again by season 8 Seinfeld was massive you know like tuning into season 8 you'd be like oh this is Jerry's first season on his own is it going to be different and then you know turning it on and watching it for the first time and not seeing that stand up skit it would have been a bit jarring yeah yeah um, but you know just got to go with it that's right yeah and uh, this is another episode where George refers to himself in the third person yeah he also does this in the Jimmy the Sponge the Junk Mail the Cartoon and the Maid yeah more of a season sort of seven, eight, nine thing. Yeah. It increases more as, as the seasons go on. Yeah. But yeah, it does start in the Jimmy, which is season Season six, six episode yeah. 18. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. The set that you see the uh, foundation being set up in, and, and George uh, is actually quite a commonly used set. It was the set used for Mr. Pitt's house, where Elaine worked for season five and six. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yep. and also the location, which actually might have been the same house, yep. where uh, Elaine uh, interviews for a uh, editing job, and the, the lady borrows a Brewline tennis racket. Oh, the tennis racket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah, comeback. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously like a really nice, nice set. You can I mean, see like the mahogany, you know, yeah. from Mr. Pitt's office. You can see like wisps of that. And this is the second time, Stephen, where Kramer has the shit beaten out of him in an alley when trying <laughs> to run up a ladder. That's true. <laughs> this happened previously in The Sponge where he didn't wear his AIDS ribbon and it's parodied uh, or it's, there's like a homage to it in this episode and the kids grab him and uh, start beating the shit out of him. Kramer They're gets, little fists of fury. Kramer gets uh, <laughs> fucked up a lot. You know, he gets chased by uh, the the street toughs, yeah, you know Cedric and uh, what's the other guy's Bob. name? Bob, Bob, Bob and Cedric. Yeah, um, you know he gets thrown in the river, rolled up in a rug. Yeah, you know he, he goes uh, through a lot. He pisses some people off. He does. You know, <laughs> so but yeah, bunch of kids. Yeah, that's right. Do you have any other trivia about the episode? No, nah, that's all I have, buddy. But anyway, let's talk about some secondary, shall we? Let's talk first of all. Well, we we said off air before we started, Steve, that there's not really many new secondary characters to talk about. So I guess we can kind of talk about some secondaries in the context of this episode. So. Uh, uh, who do you want to talk about first? Uh, why don't we talk about the Rosses? The Rosses, cool. So anyway, the Rosses, which who we have talked about several times on the pod, um, I think you asked me off air, you said, because, you know, George is stuck doing the foundation in his spare time mm. and everything's itemized and everything's being read out and the lawyers kind of rub it in saying, you know, you could have got this if Susan was alive and this, you know, this townhouse could have been yours, this holiday home could have been yours, everything like, and the doll collection was worth like two million bucks 
you know, 2.6 million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, ridiculous. You know, stuff like that. Stuff that he could have got if they were still together. Yeah. Like, she was still alive. You asked me, do the Rosses deliberately do that to George to fuck him over? Yeah. Or do you think maybe because the daughter just died, yep. you know, they're kind of like, oh, George is a widow. Yep. You know, maybe they had good intentions about the foundation. I had to think about it well, as we were recording. I think at first they have benevolent intentions for the mm. foundation. And I think it's just the fact that because we realize in this episode that the Rosses are actually way more low. Yeah. Than what they put on, you know, many, many money, many, many, many monies. <laughs> yes, that's right. So I feel like Wick, he's he's a very. Before, I won't go too much on a Wick now, but I think Wick has been instructed by the Rosses to really go through everything, right? And it kind to of shows really George, it and it, oh, well, not deliberately. I think it's just to show George like what the Rosses had in their estate mm-hmm. and what they were going to give. Because I assume. Susan, you know, Susan is like their only daughter. Yeah. And they have Ricky, the son, yep. who's a bit of a delinquent. Um, but yeah, I like I feel like maybe initially, probably in the first few episodes, the Rosses had good intentions, but then they probably suspected that George did something dodgy. Because in the finale, Mrs. Ross accuses him of murder in the court, of uh, killing Susan. Yeah, I mean in like an hysterical like fit. Yeah, I mean, she, and there's another episode, maybe it is the finale as well, where the Rosses say, you know, we don't like you, we basically hold you responsible for her death. Yeah, yeah. That's when- uh, That's when George, George pretends he's got a house in the Hamptons, Hamptons, and the horses, (laughs) Prickly Pete and Snoopy, (laughs) Snoopy and Prickly Pete, and uh, yeah, the Rosses just like, the and they get there and it's like dark at the Hamptons, and they're like, yeah, we know you don't have a house, we were just fucking with you. Yeah, see, based on that timeline, I think (laughs) that at this stage, you're kind of right that they- probably are unsure of George's role in her death. Yeah. You know, and they probably think that, uh, yeah, he's as broken up about it as uh, they are. But I'm imagining, you know, a lot of time off screen as well, Her, uh, them seeing how he's acting and how much he doesn't really care about her death yeah, and how yeah. he seems more sad about the loss of, you know... Not being able to eat a block of cheese. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, not yeah. just his lifestyle, but what he could have had with her if she was alive. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably realise, oh, hang on, like he didn't really love her. He doesn't really care about she, that she's dead. Yeah. He's more upset about the fact that he can't have all this stuff. That's right. And, you know, in this episode, like you said, it's kind of benevolent. You're a bit unsure about whether they do hold him responsible and whether they're just trying to mess with him. And then, you know, a season later, they say, we hold you responsible. And then a season later after that, they're like, you killed our daughter. Yeah, so at the, the end of that So the season, level yeah. of responsibility that they hold him to sort of escalates throughout the next couple of seasons. So, mm. yeah, I would say at this stage... I think it's they're not directly holding him responsible, but over time it occurs to them that, no, that's actually how we feel. Yeah, and yep. it just goes to show that even though George got out of the relationship, not in the way that he thought was mm. possible, but he could have got a lot if he was still with Susan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, pretty gut-wrenching for him. Pretty shallow of George when he's just like, you know, when she's like, oh, well, Wick says something about a doll collection and you see George turn Worth around. Worth 2.6 mil. Yeah, and, and, then he looks he at her, and then he looks at her portrait with this shocked look on yeah, his face yeah, like, yeah, yeah. why didn't you tell me? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And one of them was like the one that looked like his mum that yep. Frank destroyed. Yeah. So that was probably worth like yeah. 10 grand just for that one. Yeah. I mean, there was what, like 20 or 30 dollars <laughs> oh, in there? More. So 100 grand each. Oh, yeah. 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 To be fair, though, I can understand why maybe George was a bit stupefied by the whole situation of because course. you know fair enough when you start going out with someone maybe they don't reveal their full like family wealth to you mm. but by the time you're engaged to someone you would like to think that you would know pretty much all their significant details so the fact that i mean like like george said you know i'm aware that the rosses have some monies yeah but the fact that susan didn't tell him of their many many monies like not that george that gives a reason for george to say well i don't care about the fact that you're dead yeah but i think george is also shocked that he wasn't aware of this when she was alive maybe he just never got brought up yeah i don't know i i think uh i mean they're happy to talk about money you know when uh when it comes to her signing a prenup and stuff so i don't know it i I, I can can understand why george would be you know amongst other things a bit like how come i wasn't aware of this uh you know or how come the the wealth situation is far greater than what i was aware of Hmm. why wasn't i aware of this it it would be strange or maybe the rosses didn't trust in george enough Hmm. like maybe they thought if we told george that but susan would know that's my point yeah no yeah 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 Yeah. maybe susan had some doubts or maybe he was she was worried that maybe george was a bit shallow and maybe would do something (laughs) to her if they got married or something true i don't know maybe she's still because even like susan has her doubts even at the end yeah yeah she's like should i go ahead with it yeah i think we've talked about that maybe in our own episode that it seems like she's constantly trying to convince herself that getting married to george is a good idea yeah even though it's not no it's not but she's you know you can tell she's always trying to recommit because we've said in her episode she wants kids and her biological clock is ticking probably at that stage she's like 
yeah mid 30s you know so she's kind of like oh i want to have kids you know i I don't have much time left yeah she felt like the you know yeah that window was closing she put her career first for like the first 15 years of her working life yeah yeah who knew that she didn't have to work at all (laughs) (laughs) she had a couple of million dollars of dolls on the wall and could have lived very comfortably off them who knows who knows yeah one thing as well i noticed in this episode is i think uh at least at this stage the Rosses seem to be a bit despondent about her death. You know, at the at the at the gravestone when um Jerry says the the, the, the wrath, wrath of Khan, Khan quote yeah, quote yeah. and you know they 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 think it's quite a nice quote and later on when they're trying to requote it <laughs> she doesn't remember she doesn't remember and then she just goes oh who the hell cares oh, she's an alcoholic yeah she probably after that all happened she probably got really blotto yeah know, no no I, I understand grief. why she would yeah, have yeah. a terrible memory but the fact that she's like oh who cares about this nice thing for our daughter and uh, I don't know they just say I don't think they are being cold about a daughter's death but I think they're actually in a bit of shock yeah they're still grieving you know they're still grieving and they're not able to fully sort of lean into their sadness and i think they're being a bit like dismissive like oh who cares whatever because it's easier whereas then to just fully embrace the 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 grief whereas deep down they're really hurting Yeah, yeah 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 and i think that you know change like that slow acceptance of her death probably you know, influenced how their feelings of George's level of responsibility changed. You know, yeah. the more that they accepted it, the more they sort of came to terms with it, the more they thought, oh, hang on, it was actually kind of indirectly George's fault. Mm. Yeah. So I just found it interesting that they were a bit, spon- not even despondent, but like dismissive yeah. of her death. They're a bit like blase. And some of the things they said were a bit like, oh, like your daughter just died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit cold. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Yeah, just different emotions. Yeah, mm. you know, and like you said, she's still an alcohol. Uh, <laughs> alcoholic. An alcoholic. Mrs. Ross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Ross, not so much. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no he's just a... Uh, the fact that they're still together after, you know, it's revealed that he had a, a, a long-time affair with John Cheever. John Cheever, yeah, back in season four. Yeah, That's and right. like they're... Maybe, I think Susan's death brought them closer together because yeah, yeah. they were pretty... Uh, they were on the rocks when she found yeah, that out. She, yeah, uh, they, they were never had a good relationship. They were always sort of uh, antagonistic towards each other. And I don't think we really... I think we see them a few more times. Mm. you know sporadically between seasons four and eight yeah but not as much not as much yeah. definitely more in season eight and nine yeah with the foundation definitely do you have anything else about them no but let's talk about mulva or dolores <laughs> whichever one you want to say even in this episode we don't know her real name sometimes jerry says dolores and sometimes she says he says mulva well i think they just call her mulva that's a nickname that's a nickname it's like yeah. man hands you know yeah, her yeah. name's whatever yeah but they just refer to her as a nickname. still doesn't know her name so good well he does because oh, he says yeah. he says oh it's nice to see you dolores oh, Dolores. this is my friend dolores oh yeah dolores yeah yeah, you know, he's, yeah, he's saying yeah. a name a lot to confirm to her, yes, I know you're Oh, name. yeah, true, Dolores. Yeah, but they yeah, just call yeah. her Mulva privately. Yeah, it's a nickname. Probably, yeah, so they know who it is. Yeah. Played by Susan Walters. She's appeared in Teen Wolf, the TV show, The Flash, and Vampire Diaries. She's also appeared in The Young and the Restless in 82 episodes. She played the character Diane Jenkins. So if you watch The Young and Restless, you know who she is. If you're into daytime soaps. And uh, she's appeared previously in The Junior Mint from season five, I think. Season four or five. Four or five. Around then. One of those. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, with Dolores, like I, I, we might have said in the past, like she's a very intelligent woman. Mm. You know, she's got nothing wrong with her. You know, she's great. Um, But then she finds out that Jerry got engaged. How do you think she found out? I don't know. Probably just through the grapevine. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, she uh, dated Jerry for, you know, a week or two. Yeah. During the junior mint. Maybe she met one of his friends during that time and then she ran into him on the street. Like, oh, you're you're one of Jerry's friends. I met you a couple of years ago when I went out with Jerry. Right. And they had a bit of a chat and maybe it was just like, oh, what's Jerry up to? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he got in. You know, like, it's pretty easy to find out that news. Even, like, before the internet, you run into someone that you met when you were dating or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine it's something like that. Yeah. Because they didn't meet through a common connection. They met. Uh, on the street, supermarket. Yeah, yeah, oh, supermarket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, like originally, that's yeah, how yeah, they yeah. first in the met. Yep. Yeah, I think they were going for the same piece of fruit or something like that. Yeah, something like, something that. like that. So they didn't meet through a common connection, but I would assume it's she knew one of his. Maybe she ran into Kramer mm. or Elaine, or maybe or not George because he was there. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. Well, she looks totally different now. She's got like dyed blonde hair, mm. you know, with highlights, and yeah, yeah. She just more seems to dress much nicer too. Like, yeah, I think she was a bit like her dress sense. I don't know was a bit different in season four. Yeah, she's more w- like. Yeah, in this episode, especially when she's sitting down with Jerry at Monks, she's wearing like a like a business blouse. Yeah, maybe yeah, she yeah. got like a more professional job or a maybe. promotion, and she has to formalize her dress a bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, she just seemed a bit more not sophisticated, but just a bit more confident. Yeah, a bit more of a, an energy, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and she, you know, she just went up to Jerry and she's like, "Hey, we should get together." She was just very sure of herself without being cocky. So yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine that she probably got a bump up at work or something like that. Something like that. I feel like. 
with Mulva or Dolores, I feel like Dolores wasn't written to be in the episode to drive the plot forward. I think she was just kind of brought in to kind of show that Jerry still can't be redeemed even after yeah. being engaged. Like he still won't mature. Yeah. Like there's like no development yeah. for him. So and and Dolores is hoping that maybe Jerry's become a better person yeah. after the engagement, and he's like the same. He's yeah. still like the man child. Yeah. So I think it's good that they brought a previous girlfriend back for this. I think it would have been really weird if it was a brand new person. Mm. You know, because there's like no context behind it. Well, it w- the storyline wouldn't have worked with a new girlfriend. No, no. It's got to be someone previous. It's got to be someone who knew him before he was yeah. engaged. And I think someone as, you know, as significant as Dolores, probably one of the most famous episode girlfriends Jerry has had. And also one yeah, of the yeah. only girlfriends. Well, not one of the only, but more often than not, Jerry is the dumper and the girlfriends are the dumpy. Yeah. She left him. Yeah, she's because, the dumper. Yeah, yeah. So I think if it was her if she was one of the dumpies it wouldn't have made sense for her to be keen on jerry again because she's like no fuck that guy he dumped me yeah so at the end of their relationship she walked away with the power so it makes sense that she would try and reinitiate things on the street yeah because you know she left with her head held high and 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 you kind of got the sense that maybe i don't think jerry you know like in this episode elaine said you never feel remorse he doesn't feel normal feelings he doesn't i don't think he was heartbroken but you know there's a handful of jerry's girlfriends where i think could have been the one in some way or, or much more significant than his normal fleeting relationship. Oh, yeah. And I think Dolores... You know, was probably p- one of them. Yeah. Jerry seems chuffed that he's got another opportunity with Dolores. He's like, oh, sweet. Like, I've got... He's really putting in an effort to figure out, you know, why, like you know why she dumped me again well he knows but you know he's doing that research like he's yeah. he cares about her and being dumped by her more than any other girlfriend yeah, yeah so i think maybe he's got stronger feelings for her than than other so yeah her being the one who meets him on the street and you know tries to get back together with him makes sense in a lot of ways for me yeah but like i said i feel like it's better to have someone like a famous yeah. previous girlfriend yeah. to turn up and do it I, yeah like yeah. it would have been really weird like you said if someone else yeah just would have felt like up. why do they pick this random yeah. girlfriend that you kind of remember from that episode three seasons ago exactly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. dolores is definitely Mulder is definitely one of the most famous Jerry girlfriends. Yeah, and then she realizes that Jerry can't be saved. Yeah. <laughs> basically. I do kind of feel sorry for Jerry though, because it's not like he he doesn't say or do anything immature to make her realize. She just doesn't believe that his breakup was the first mutually no. uh, you know, mutually agreed upon breakup in human history. <laughs> and then she tries the widow story and yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. She's a bit unfair to him, I think, in that. Like you don't have to believe him, but don't just assume that, you know, he's still being immature. Because mm. he's like, No, no, it's true. Yeah, like, it was mutual. I'm not, we I'm even not lying. see we see the flashback sequence. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, she's just assuming that he's not telling the truth and leaves him and says, oh, you haven't grown up at all. So, uh, you know, it's a bit harsh, I think. Yeah. She, I, I think she just doesn't like mucking around. Yeah. I think yeah. any sign of immaturity, she's just <laughs> like, no. Even if it, even if it's misjudged, uh, yeah, she just has zero tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we don't see her again for the entire series. Nope. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest gaps between secondary characters. Yeah. From season four to five to eight. Yeah. What a jump. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, who are we talking about next, buddy? Uh, why don't we talk about, uh, let's talk about Wick. Wick Thayer. He's played by Bruce Davison. Uh, he's actually an Oscar-nominated supporting actor. He was nominated in 1991 for Longtime Companion. Uh, he's appeared in the X-Men film series as Senator Kelly, and he's been in TV shows including The Ghost Whisperer, Drop Dead Diva, The Knight Rider reboot, and Touched by an Angel. Uh, this is the first of three appearances this season and uh, in the series overall. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, Wick. Um, I feel like, yeah, he was probably just directed to, you know, itemize everything in the Ross's estate. And, uh, like, he just seems to be doing his job. Okay. Like, I don't think, like, I don't think in this moment he's really sticking it to George. Yeah. I think in later episodes... You can see he's having a bit of fun. Well, he doesn't. He know. doesn't really know George in this episode. No, but, he doesn't. But he know, learns over, more about George. Yeah, over time he yeah. sees how uh, you know how shallow he is and yeah. how uncaring he is about the death. Especially and also especially you know because they've got like a scholarship to give to a kid, but he mm. gives it to like a kid with a GPA of like two, Steve yep. Corrin. Yeah, you know what I mean. And even Wick's like this what? kid's dumb. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, we've interviewed like a hundred smart children. And he gives it to this idiot. Yeah, it's like what? And so even he has his average. Yeah, and because he has no, so he has no respect for George. Yeah, right at the end. Yeah, yeah. He's like the Rosses. The more they get to know him outside of the relationship with Susan, especially when it comes to lots of money being talked about and thrown around. Uh, They see for who he really is and they dislike him more and more. Yeah, yeah. He reminds me of Jeff Bridges. Oh, yeah, I can see that. A little bit the actor. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a... Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see Jeff Bridges. Yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, he is not just a random lawyer employed to administer the foundation. He seems to have a pretty personal connection to the Rosses. The way yeah. he talks about Susan, it's kind of implied that he knew her. Yeah. You know, he's he speaks from a very emotional point of view. He's not just speaking on business terms. He'd be he would have been their lawyer for Yeah, probably decades. a family lawyer or something like yep. that. And uh I And he th- also deals with estates. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm. Yeah, I guess he has to be sensitive in how he talks just because of the nature of his work. But I just got this sense that he kind of knew Susan personally maybe. Yeah. You know, yeah maybe I think from so. when she was younger. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe he was almost like a 
an uncle in a way. You know, he grew, yeah, maybe yeah. she grew up with him. He just seemed to talk to her, talk about her in a very like personal. <laughs> and he was also sad that she was gone. Not a Sopranos mafia uncle. No, but like, no, no, no. Yeah, like a family friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just someone like another adult in Susan's life who she felt close to in some yep. way. Yep. Yeah, and then obviously his uh, relationship gets colder and colder towards, towards George, George oh, man. you know and in later to, the, to the point where yeah. uh you know when when he he just sort of double checks with everyone he's like we all hold him responsible for her death right yes. and everyone's like yeah yeah, and yeah, he yeah. Goes, okay. okay and then he just moves on yeah that's right <laughs> that's at the end yeah 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 so you know he doesn't yeah so but in this one yeah he's just i feel like he he doesn't like the rosses he doesn't he doesn't have malevolent intentions no at this moment but yeah he's just kind of just going through everything yeah he's a bit naive to who george really is and yep. yeah over time he realizes that uh he doesn't actually care about a death he cares more about the fact that he missed out on lots of money yes and uh yeah that's ours because i think like i said he loved susan in a way mm-hmm. in in a you know i care for susan yeah and the fact that george didn't that he takes that personally and it makes him not like george at all yeah and of course we have done the other two episodes he's in the van buren boys and some i forgot the other one but we have done it this is our yeah. last season eight episode yeah. so google which episodes he was in and we probably talk about him more in detail yeah there too. i think so as well one yeah. other thing i just wanted to say about him i think he doesn't deal with he seems very well spoken very well educated i don't think he deals with uh low-end in terms of like dollar value estate law no oh, no you no. know i think he operates and works for and with you know the upper crust of New York, yeah. like the Rosses. He's just—he just seems like he's yeah, from he, that world. He doesn't do small fry stuff. No, 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 no. no. When he's like many, many monies, he, he almost speaks with a. He's like a bit posh, I guess. Because he'll, like, he'll get a bit refined and stuff. He'll get a good cut. Yeah, and he's well dressed. He seems very yeah. well educated. He's, he's earning his money. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, let's talk a bit about uh, Jay Peterman in this episode. Yeah, played by, of course, John O'Hurley, the legendary John O'Hurley. In this episode, yeah, he breaks. Yeah, we. I think that's really the only reason why we talk about him because he is sort of a pretty consistent secondary character. He doesn't really change much. But in this episode, for reasons unknown, he kind of just has a breakdown. He, yeah. Like he says uh, to Elaine on the phone when he's in uh, Burma or Myanmar, depending on, uh, you know, when you were born, he kind of says that his brain's empty. He's like, my brain is... I think yeah. what does he say? My brain's emptier than my brain's emptier than a than a than the dark side of the moon or something. Like yeah. some reference to the fact that he's just empty. He's yeah, done. yeah. Well, he's burnt out, and I feel like he's creatively bankrupt as yep. well. Like I feel like he's you know because in in season seven when we first meet him, you know, or late season six, early season seven, we meet him. Uh, you know, he's very lively, full of energy. Yeah. He's got so many good he seems ideas. On top of his game. Even though some of the ads are a bit weird, like some of the the, the copyright and stuff, you know, he's really into it and he yeah. comes up with great ideas. But in this one, he just, I think he just doesn't have any ideas for anything. Yeah. I, what I thought was maybe something happened in his personal life. You know, maybe he met a special lady. Like he's a bit of a womanizer, mm. a bit of a playboy. Uh, and he seems happy being the single sort of rich, charming guy. But maybe he met someone who captured his heart and that ended and it just sort of screwed him up for in a bit between seasons yeah mm-hmm. uh and you know that took his uh, ability to be you know be the sort of big dick energy boss that he is away yep. uh and yeah and then he needed some time away in uh myanmar or, sorry myanmar, myanmar or burma or burma as, yeah as it's always known for him yeah relevant considering what's going on in myanmar yeah. now Jeez. <laughs> strange coincidence couldn't have picked a worse time <laughs> yeah i was about oh, to say Lord. couldn't have picked a better time but oh, i meant man. i meant in terms of coincidence yeah in get, terms of what's going on i understand yeah, yeah, what's yeah, going yeah. on is horrible it's of course but yeah the fact that myanmar <laughs> yeah it's weird weird we did not playing this at all no no yeah we, we set up a military coup, coup last <laughs> yeah. week just just to tie yeah. in with this episode yeah. we we have powerful friends we have that many fans we can do it yeah hello to our burmese or myanmarian fans myanmarian myanmarian people from myanmar yeah, who yeah. listen to the show hello yeah. hello we probably have a couple of downloads from Myanmar. Maybe. We've gotten one from most countries. If we go back, way back in the data, we might have one. <laughs> yeah, we've had people from Africa, Middle East. Well, they've censored the internet now, so no more no more Myanmar listeners. Damn it. Yes. Not yet. They won't even hear our uh, you know, best wishes to Myanmar Or best wishes to Myanmar, but I'm sure they'll get the internet back and yeah. Yeah, they'll hear us again. Hopefully it is a you know a temporary situation. Let's see. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, spends a bunch of time in uh, Myanmar and eventually comes back. Yeah, that's right. And a couple of weeks ago, Steve, we did The Money, the episode that he actually returns to America. Yeah, so. and he's just back to his old self. Like, yeah. nothing happened. Like, nothing happened. He's just refreshed. But we do see between, you know, the foundation and the money that uh, there's a lot of references to Apocalypse Now. He plays the mm. Marlon Brando-like character, you know, yep. in the shadows. <laughs> and Elaine is like the Martin Sheen character from the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, it's nice little throwbacks there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah but we just thought it was worth mentioning, uh, you know, Peterman in this episode because he does sort of have a bit of a mental breakdown and mm. just 
buggers off and you know just abandons his company temporarily, but he comes back in full force, which is uh, what mm. we all want. He does. Uh, all right, let's talk about Joey in this episode. Joey Zanfino. Yeah, he's played by Todd Bosley. He's appeared in the films The Little Giant and Jack as a child actor, and in later years he's appeared in the TV show Scrubs as well as other TV shows and films. Cool. Other different projects. We do see Joey and his mum, of course, Mrs. Zanfino. We do see them in the wait out from season seven. That's the one where Joey gets babysat by Kramer, mm. and uh, he thinks and and. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Kramer is wearing those really tight jeans and he thinks that Kramer's Frankenstein in the yeah. shadows and he runs off. <laughs> I'm the babysitter. <laughs> and then uh, Mickey stands in as uh, Joey. Yeah. Last in that minute. memorable scene. Good night. Good, Good night. night. Good night. Ah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Jerry's like, yep. <laughs> I don't want to know. Uh, yeah, so Joey, uh, so we see that he does karate as well. Uh, probably, I don't know, maybe he got into it because... I was going to say maybe because he, he felt fearful in... What was the episode? Uh, the Wait Out. The Wait Out. Maybe because he was a bit afraid of that, maybe to get a bit of confidence back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, his mum uh, thought it was a good idea to you know make him feel a bit more empowered again. And he never knew it was Kramer. No. He didn't see Kramer. No. So, you know, but yeah. I'm, I'm imagining he probably had some lingering like nightmares and yeah, a bit of trauma from it. Probably. Maybe to help him through that, she thought that enrolling him in karate would be a good idea. Yeah, for his self-confidence. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, you know? it might help. And he seems perfectly happy and well-adjusted in this episode. So I think the karate has done him, sorry, the karate has done him some good. Kar- karate has done really good. And especially because there's other kids, there's probably at least another 10 yeah. kids. And they've probably all become really good friends. Yeah. So he's got like a nice friendship circle there. Yeah, they all seem pretty close. You know, yeah. they're, they're happy. They're close enough to, you know, conspire together to beat up, to lure Kramer into an alley to kick the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah. So, we're meeting yeah. your mom in this in this alley. Yeah, this dark alley. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he uh, he uh, all of his mates, including Kramer Carpool with Mrs. Zanfina. That's right. So yeah, I think uh, I think he met a whole bunch of new friends in uh, in karate, and you know that that helped him get over the nightmares of uh, Kramer. The yeah. Frankenstein. Can we get ice cream after the class, please, yeah. Mom? Please. Come on, Mrs. Z. And <laughs> okay. Kramer's like, yeah. and everyone's yeah. like, yay. Yeah. Uh, well, we, I mean, we've kind of already mentioned Mrs. Anfino, but I mean, there's not much to say. She's only in a couple of scenes in this. Yeah. And a couple of, we did talk about her in uh, The Wait Out. Yep. She's just your typical mum. Yeah. You know, probably single mum, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she seems like a really good caring mum. She drives the kids to karate. She takes them for ice cream. Yep. And she seems pretty... Uh, like a loving, just a nice loving mum. Yeah, and she's played by Diana Castle. She's appeared in the film Planes, Trains and Automobiles. That's a classic. And she's been in the TV show The X-Files. Yeah, and also I feel like with Mrs. Zanfino, because she, I think she's like the mum who really wants to like, she's happy to carpool all the kids. I think she does it all the time. Mm. I think she's just like, yeah, I re- I'll, I enjoy doing it. Yeah, I think kid- she just gets pleasure out of like doing it. Yeah, the kids yeah. seem pretty comfortable with her. Yeah, yeah, she does. You know, yeah. like I remember when I, you know, when I was a kid, if I'd met my friend's parents for the first time and it's always a bit awkward. Yeah. You know, but as you get to know them and you relax as a kid a bit more around them, the kids seem like there's no awkwardness. Yeah. So I think she's very warm and motherly to the kids, you know, because they're they're all happy to ask her for ice cream. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's like a nice little sweet moment. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, sweet. that's true. That's true. <laughs> One thing I noticed, Steve, if you if you notice in the car scene, all the kids are wearing their karate uniforms. Mm. Kramer's in casual gear. Mm. I feel like because obviously a, a full grown man fighting nine year old children isn't really seen as like, you know, correct. <laughs> you know, and it's not no. really the right thing to do. I feel like Mrs. Zanfino mm. probably didn't know that Kramer was actually in the class. Oh. I feel like Kramer, pro- she probably thought Kramer was like helping with the dojo, like maybe helping the sensei with oh, okay. like holding pads or, yep. you know, things Just up. Like an and, assistant or something Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. because he's not in his uniform. Oh, yeah. So maybe Mrs. Zanfino is unaware that he's actually flipping the shit out of the nine-year-old kids. That's true. You know, so she's yeah. like completely unawares. And then she finds out, you know, off screen that Kramer's been beating them up. Yep. You know, she's it's like, like, you've scared my son and you've kicked the shit out yeah, of my son. Yeah, and I feel Stay like... Stay away from my child. And I feel like they probably got, like, an order against Kramer, yeah. like a restraining order, yeah. and then they moved. This guy's a monster. Yeah, because we never He's see terrorizing him. terrorizing my child. We never see him again. He fucks with him psychologically, and then he beats the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, I feel like that's probably... Like, I have a theory where they just they just moved out. <laughs> yeah. Like, we can't live near this freak. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's too much of a, of a burden and a threat to my child. Because Kramer doesn't... Like, you see the montage of him beating the kids. He doesn't just, like, flip. He doesn't like, back. He whacks one kid in, like, the top of the head. Yeah. That's, that would, like, break yeah. their skull. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if a full-grown man yeah. smacked a nine-year-old boy in the and top Kramer's of the head. And Kramer's a big fella. Yeah. You know, he's got, that, he's got that... skull. He's got that, like, wiry, yeah. skinny man energy. You know, where, <laughs> you know when you see, like, really skinny people, but they're really strong because it's all just sinew and muscle? Some of the injuries he could inflict on those kids. Yeah. Like, deadly, almost. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I have a theory that, yeah, she probably thought because he wasn't... He probably kept his uniform at the at the yeah. dojo or something. I don't know. And then, uh, yeah, eventually she found out what happened. He goes, oh, my God, this man beat up my son and his yeah. friends. It's like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and rightfully so. Yeah, rightfully so. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Kramer, like we always say that Kramer's probably the most decent and nice person out of the core four. Mm. But uh, yeah, this is pretty poor judgment. Very Kramer, poor judgment. You know? I mean, just to be the winner, he has to beat up kids. And everyone rightfully is confused and shocked. Like, yeah. what? like you're beating up kids. And he's like a god. He's a yeah. godlike figure until Elaine knocks him down several pigs. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and all the other kids are like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> if she can do it, we can. Yeah. 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 Uh, do you have anything else about any of the secondaries? Uh, just a little bit on the sensei. Um, he's, he, I think it's like a non speaking role anyway, yeah. but he's played by uh, Stuart Kwan. He's appeared in License to Kill, Escape from LA, and the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers mm-hmm. movie. I was a favorite when I was eight. He passed away, unfortunately, in 2006 uh, from where he was born, Fresno, California. Uh, he was only 43. Uh, oh, sad. Uh, but the sensei, uh, I don't know why he enabled Kramer to fight kids. Like maybe, he, I, I feel like maybe the sensei thinks that, well, Kramer says to Jerry when Jerry calls him out on fighting kids, Kramer says, oh, in, in the eyes of the sensei or the dojo, we're all equals. Yeah. So I feel like maybe the sensei thinks regardless of your height, your weight, your age, your stature, yeah. you're a novice. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I'll teach you the way. The way. Yeah, it's your skill yeah. level more than, yeah. You, more than like, your, than yeah. all the other characters. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's what it is. And we've also got to remember that season eight, you know, from the get-go, the tone is wacky. a lot more wackier. You can see the wackiness start. Yeah, and it's, it's, yeah. it's slightly more detached from reality. Mm, it is too. You know, there were wacky scenes and storylines from time to time up till season seven, but it was a lot more rooted in reality, whereas this is just a bit more. Uh, it's uh, a bit sillier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get you. Yeah, so it's supposed to be you know, a bit more ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, you know, if we're thinking about it realistically, the sensei is obviously a pretty irresponsible sensei as he well. He is, definitely. You know, not uh, not someone that I would want to enroll my kid no. uh, in uh, in karate class, sorry, karate class. Karate class, yeah. yeah. You can get your katra from somewhere else. <laughs> this is bad katra. <laughs> bad katra. A couple of really good mentions. I love the references to Kung Fu and Kung Fu films. Mm. You see pictures of Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee on the wall of the dojo. And in after the scene where Kramer fights the kids in the montage, I, I mentioned to this, to this, to you off air. The sensei lifts Kramer's arm in in victory by by the wrist, and the camera quickly pans out, and it's got like the shot has Kramer in victory, and all the kids are like got injuries. A lot of kung fu movies from like the seventies, Bruce mm. Lee and stuff. A yeah. lot of those pan ins and outs in the camera. Yeah, there's happened. really quick ones. There's really quick ones that that's like that all happened. With, yeah, and it has like the gong, I think, as well when it yeah. does it. So it's kind of like a couple of little nods. Yeah, yeah. And also Kramer, this is after he gets beaten up, he sees Jerry again, and he goes, "Those little fists. I got attacked by those little." Fists of Fury. Fists of Fury, uh, Fists of Fury is a Kung Fu, Kung Fu a Bruce Lee film. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. So there you go. Yeah. Couple Obviously, of one of the writers is a is a Kung Fu fan and thought that yep. he, you know throw the references in. That would work. Other references that are a bit more obvious are the Star Trek references, which was surprising. It was like this running theme throughout the episode. Yeah, the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, the Wrath of Khan. Spock. Yeah, which yeah, is Star yeah. Trek two and three, and it's not just the quotes from it, but obviously Kramer and Jerry are big fans of it. Yeah. Fun and, fact as well, mm. Phil Norris, who uh, Phil Morris rather, who played Jackie Charles, mm. he appeared in Star Trek three. Oh, there you go. I didn't know that. Yeah. That was a trivia fact that I saw of it. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. I can just imagine them because they. I think Jerry says, yeah, we Kramer and I watched it last night. I just imagine that Kramer and Jerry maybe had like a movie night together. Probably. You know, and I think that that's kind of really cute. Yeah, they probably, like, probably binged the first three episodes. Yeah, you know, even movies, though Kramer's yeah. a pest and Jerry sort of mostly just tolerates him and just lets him be Kramer, you know, they are still friends mm. and maybe they can have those occasional like nice friends like, hey man, do you want to come over and watch some films? Yeah. And we'll like have a couple of beers and like, they just hang out. Well, they celebrate New Year's together in that yeah. photo. And, you but know, it, it's always, it's too. always, there's always drama. Like it's never yeah. just like come over and hang out and no. just be mates. There's always, there's I'm always sure something stuff happened. going on. Yeah. I'm sure something happened while they're watching. Yeah, I just think, you know, off screen, them just hanging out as guy friends with no Kramer being a pest, no Jerry being sarcastic, just sitting down enjoying a couple of movies together. It's like a nice thought. It's sweet. You know. It wouldn't work like in an episode. Oh, no, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> no, no. The fact that it happened off screen yeah. is perfect. It's perfect. But, uh, you Very know, sweet. It's, it's nice to think of them in that situation. Indeed. Uh, that's all the notes I have, buddy. Yeah, same. Let's have a really quick break. And when we come back, well, after we practice our karate for a little <laughs> bit <laughs> before we come back, we're going to find out where the foundation sits in our episodes we have done so far. And of course, there's not many left. There's about half a dozen after this week. So uh, yeah, we'll find out where the foundation sits and if any of today's newer secondary characters make our top 20. On, Kramer! Hey there! Come on! Pump's down in the car. Okay, Tony. You guys both have class at the same time? No, we're in the same class. <laughs> what do you mean you're in the same class? He almost beat me. <laughs> Kramer, you're fighting children? We're all at the same skill level, Jerry. He's nine years old! You don't need karate, you could just wring his neck! 
Now, buddy boy, out of 162 episodes we have done, of course, this is Blink 182, 182, what was it again? Blink 182. 182, shit. This is our 182nd episode overall, including What's the Deal with episodes from the past, but out of 162 Seinfeld episodes, where does the foundation sit for you? Uh, this is pretty low, 155. 146. Yeah. Yep. I... It's a setup episode. That's yeah. all it is. Yep. Yeah. I, I think as well, you know, even though we watch these episodes in random order, I just think of it from if I was watching this sequentially, maybe for the first time or even when it first aired how much of a tone shift mm-hmm. and how jarring it would be to watch this episode it'd be very different yeah yeah I mean it, it's not only difference in terms of like wackiness like we we're saying before Kramer fighting kids but the lighting is different the the fact that the stand-up comedy is not there at the start anymore there's just a lot to it, it's still Seinfeld it's not completely detached from the first previous seasons yeah. but it does take a few episodes to readjust even a lot of the one-liners are also non-sequiturs too yeah. like some of the some of the things they say it doesn't actually relate to anything no yeah no but yeah I, I, it feels like in this episode they were trying to figure out like jerry was almost trying to figure out the tone like how wacky can i get how you know how can i make this like because i'm sure he wanted to make his mark as well like well now i've got the full reins i, I want to sort of define my own tone and style and it feels like that they were just trying to fig- he was just trying to figure that out a bit yeah um, and, and of and course it, you know he's never been a showrunner yeah so that's a big responsibility so yeah he was just still trying to find his feet certainly not a terrible episode i don't think that there is any terrible episodes of the show no, but just isn't. i didn't really laugh at much i thought best storyline was george him leaning into just being a total slob I yeah. thought was hilarious that to me was the most relatable part to season say three to seven George just not caring being selfish and he's going you know what I'm just going to be me like sitting around in his underwear eating the cheese and that as his like the benchmark of bachelorhood is just being able to take a bite out of a big block of cheese yeah I thought that felt the most familiar yeah in terms of George and just him wanting to be his full sort of slobby bachelor self and then he gets offered to do the foundation in his yeah. spare time mind you yeah. <laughs> he tries to get out of it saying oh I'll work for the Yankees and they're like oh no we can do it in evenings and yeah things, yeah, yeah. And he's got no free time for anything no, he's no, annoyed no. my favorite line in the episode is um when uh you know when they turn up to his house and he's a bit shocked and he's trying to clean up quickly and puts just that random uh, sports jacket on to cover his like naked hairy body <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or his topless naked uh, topless hairy body when uh you know he's trying to sort of accommodate them and think in the moment and he just goes oh would, would you like some cheese <laughs> and they're just like mm. no thanks we're good my favorite subplot was kramer i know it was really wacky but the fact like like you said he's a very morally you know driven character and you know mm. he's, he's got more empathy we keep repeating this all the time he, he's got more empathy than the, the three put together the other three but he fights children yeah but he doesn't fight them i don't know why he kind of fights them to be dominant yep. and also prove you know that he's strong and stuff but i don't know he just it's like playing a video game but you put it on like very easy yeah and you just blast through the game yeah you know it's just like that yeah it's I like no I, challenge yeah i don't think he's doing it because he's like i want to go beat up some kids no. or i'm too much of a, a coward to fight people my own age and physical strength i think he's more just a bit naive yeah. and he's like well the sensei said it's okay so it must be okay yeah. he doesn't see the problem from from an outside perspective that's why jerry and elaine are like you fight children yeah <laughs> yes. yeah they're both shocked but even they're shocked they're yeah like, oh, i think i think kramer's just a bit naive yep. Yep. thinking that you know he, he's so enthralled by the idea of skill level and cutthra that he can't actually just step outside of that you know him being wound up in it to just say you just don't fight kids and it's you good yeah, it was sweet revenge how the kids beat the shit out of him yeah it was nice yeah nice to see yeah they got something out of it yeah you know he got a few uh <laughs> They did. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's another week of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to email us, you can email bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. You can check us out on all forms of social media. Uh, all those details are in the show notes. You can rate us or review us on your podcast app of choice. It really helps out. So if you want to do that, that would be awesome. And you can support us financially as well. We're on Patreon and PayPal. Check out those details as well. And finally, we have a Seinfeld Facebook group called Seinfeldisms. It's the biggest Seinfeld community online. So uh, check that out as well. All those details are in the show notes. Uh, what are we doing next week? It's the final season four for episode do 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 the handicap spot oh nice yes with the pre Jerry Stiller George yes the other George uh, oh, no yeah. George sorry the other Frank yeah. the other Frank Costanza yes yep. I forgot about that but in syndication Jerry Stiller plays Frank in that episode mm. so I don't know like because we I use Amazon Prime Video because mm. in Australia Seinfeld's still on there until Netflix gets it I don't know if it's going to be Jerry Stiller or the other actor I got no idea wait and see watch it and see we'll talk about it next week <laughs> we will my name's Ivan and I'm Stephen we'll see you next week for our final season 4 episode and uh, take care of yourselves and each other <laughs>